0: Hello, welcome to the HR Champions podcast. My name is Phil Scott, and I bring to you exceptional leaders from the HR industry. In this podcast, we'll be discussing their careers to date, their passion for HR, and the challenges they have faced along the way. I hope you enjoy listening. Today, I'm delighted to introduce Karen Sanders, Director of People and Development Services at Nottingham College. Karen has had an illustrious career to date, so I'm excited to have Karen on the show today. So Karen, I'm gonna pass it over to you and uh, I'd like you to give the listeners a quick introduction to who you are.
1: Thank you, Uh, and and, and what a welcome. (laughs) And What an introduction, so I hope I can live up to that. Morning everybody, it's it's a real honour and a privilege to be asked to do these. So I hope you find what I'm going to say interesting. Hopefully it will help you in your careers as well. Um, As as Phil said, I'm the Director of People and Development Services for Nottingham College. Nottingham College is a further education college. There are about 260 further education colleges in the UK. We're one of the largest. Um, Our customer base, if you you understand customers, are students. And we have about 34,000 of those. Predominantly from Nottingham, it's wider county and those counties bordering onto it. And we're what I'd call a mixed economy organisation. So although education is our business, we offer both further education. So that bit, the sandwich bit that sits between schools and university. So we have further education, higher education or university level education. We work with schools. We work with over 250 businesses to provide business to business training and apprenticeships. We've got commercial activities and we have a huge wheel that sits behind all that which is known as professional services, which are all the things like finance, IT, accountancy, marketing, workforce services, et cetera, that keep the wheels of everything running. If you know the further education sector as a, as a whole, it's about the third largest employer in the UK behind things like the National Health Service and other public services. So we're significant, but we're often the one that's less known about because we sit between that compulsory part of education and the higher education sector or universities. But we're the largest provider of skills into the UK economy. Whatever you're doing now, at some point in the future, you may need to have your car serviced or as we all do at the moment, need a haircut, You might need some work done on your house. You might need some accountancy advice. You might need legal advice. Pretty much everybody that you will come in contact with, or at some point you might need somebody to provide care for you, will have been touched by the further education system. So we're significant in in the work that we do. Um, I've been in the education sector for 20 plus years, but I've been with Nottingham itself for the last two years. It's a great place to be. I'm passionate about what education can do. Um, in terms of the sector to choose to work in I chose to be in in this one and that's because I'm a firm believer that education learning training is the way to affect change in society so I'm in the drain place for my own values and something that I can give to the organization
0: so I'm going to um, take it to the beginning of your career so I'm going to ask you uh, two bits really well uh, the first bit how you first got into HR and then um, how you progressed from that entry-level position in your early career
1: I think many people who find themselves in the people profession don't necessarily start out thinking that's what they're going to do. If I, if I think back a long time ago now to my first aspirations and then through university, etc. I think I started off wanting to do social anthropology. So I've always had an interest in people and how, how people have developed, albeit through a societal sort of lens my disciplines were psychology and sociology so I've always been interested in how and why and although I started predominantly in in education I was thinking about teaching as a profession I found myself for any reason being in the hospitality industry Uh, and that again is very very people-based and so from a very early stage I've always had people as part of my remit and all the things that sit alongside it so of course there is you know the the administration arm that has to sit there. So understanding the documentation, the legal side that you need. And I'm really interested in the law. So all of those things come together. My entry into it, I guess, was probably somewhere around manager level. And that's because I've I've always had a business background. So I've understood business and how business works. My particular discipline within business, whereas some people might be finance and some people might be technology or management information systems, mine has always been workforce. And so going in through that angle is different than saying, I want a career in HR and just studying around the people aspect. It's really about starting with the business and building it from there and then deciding on your discipline that way.
0: Fantastic. And um, what is it you most like about working in in HR? I know you sort of covered a little bit of that.
1: I always think, and when I talk to people, I say, what people understand as being HR is probably the smallest part of what I do. I'm, Interested in the outcomes and the greater good, so organisations I work for have societal impact, and therefore they're they predominantly very heavily workforce based, which means those people need to be focused on what the outcome needs to be. And so, yes, of course, there's you know the basic bits that you need to have in there. So what people always refer to as policies and procedures, I prefer to think of it as the backbone of how. the organisation works well and how the people who work for the organisation work well within it. So they've always been my passions around it and actually about being able to create great workplaces. If you're in in jobs you don't want to do that aren't very good, if they're not well designed, then productivity will always be affected. If you're working for an organisation whose values aren't the same as your own, you're not ever going to be fully vested in it. So making sure all of those things fall into place and the workforce that works into it, and for most organisations, the heaviest cost you have is your workforce. It's usually around 60 70% of your turnover goes on on your workforce. You need to make sure that workforce is, is really doing what it needs to do. I
0: mean, as an organisation, it's 1,400 employees, I think uh, you'd say. Yeah, we are, we're cycle. about
1: 14, about that. Our turnover is about 75 million.
0: The position you hold is a pretty uh, important position, and, and you've obviously climbed through your career um you know to, to get to those dizzy heights what would you say the secret to your success has been has there been any standout achievements that have really helped you um with that progression
1: um i think if if say so, it's the dizzy heights then i guess a good head for heights is is always is is the is thing to have i think i have three tenets that i always say need to sit with anybody working in the people profession and that is you need to be visible the organization needs to know what you're there to do the people within the organization need to know what you're there to do and what it is you stand for I mean we are custodians of the culture of an organization and so you need to be able to be the embodiment of that culture when you're trying to talk to a workforce you need to be valuable you need to have the skills that your business needs so it's about being very solutions focused it's not about leaping in and spouting HR at people it's about applying that in the lens of the organization and you've got to be again you've got to have this a likable quality Um, and that doesn't mean you have to be nice to people all the time it's about the fact that if a door needs to be opened you're the person who can open it if you need to be able to influence to have decisions changed or to put a new initiative through you need to have the quality which means people will listen to you and buy into what it is you're saying i worked at in, in my own organization I'm part of the executive leadership team and it's a it's a small group that, that runs the organization if you like. Um, and to be able to get there you've really and truly got to understand your business through and through. There's no point being in a in a discipline or part of a profession which isn't able to influence, which isn't recognised as really and truly adding value to an organisation. Um, one of the downfalls, I think, sometimes for HR teams, and we've moved away from that term, we, we, we call ourselves people services or workforce services, really because people don't want to be referred to as a human resource. You know it's not, it's, not it's not a filing cabinet, it's not a car park know, these are the people who are actually doing the business of your business every day and making it happen. So being recognized for what that does, for making sure you understand the business you work for, that you know it through and through, that you can speak its language, that you understand its challenges, that you understand its threats and opportunities, and you're always thinking far enough ahead. So it's a pair of binoculars apart from a good ladder that helps you to look forward to say, okay, these are things on the horizon. These are things we should be thinking about now. Because again, particularly from an educational point of view, students who are with us currently, we're developing them with the skills to solve problems that we don't know exist yet. If we're not doing that, if we're not thinking far enough forward, and that again, sometimes is a bit of a challenge for the people profession, they don't look far enough forward, or they're not fully integrated into the leadership teams of the organisation, then it's a struggle. The other big thing to do is to understand numbers because you are responsible for the single most expensive line in the accounting for your organization. That's exactly where you are. so it's imperative that you understand the numbers as well.
0: Yeah, and I remember um, when we spoke previously, you said that uh, you can't just sit in your silo, you can't just say right we're in the you know HR or the People Department, we just sit over there, you've got to really understand the business or you can't strategically have an okay. impact
1: absolutely there's all sorts of titles that people have um within within their structure so we just referred to it as hr but um in my organization it's people services so we have business partners many many people watching this will be hr business partners perhaps or hr advisors um and i think if you take the title business partner the clues in the name you are partnering the business which means the business bit is first so you need to understand that to be able to apply the lens of the workforce through it. So all of the, you know, don't think of short-term resolution to things, think much longer term. So what are the impact of all the things we're saying here? What does that mean in terms of providing a solution to the organisation on what it needs to do?
0: Yeah, good. Well, um, just sort of bring in um, things to, to to the sort of, Current or recent events. So, if you've been with the organization two years, then fifty percent of your time has been pandemic. Um, I mean, how has the pandemic affected the organization?
1: Well, um, it, it's really interesting point. Um, and I think you have to think about from 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 our perspective, it was what was happening just before that happened. Um and we were in a position that we called as an organization the perfect storm. We were recently, or in in business terms, fairly soon after a major merger. Um, And so there was all the activity around that that was happening. We had, we were making some rationalization to our estates and we're a multi-site operation. We have, we started off, we had 17 sites across the city. We were reducing that down. We had a massive new build going on. Um, And we were in the middle of what we called a big moves program. So we had 500 staff that we needed to move from different sites that were being um, sold and moved on and move them into a new one, just at the point where the pandemic hit. Um, we were recruiting students. There was the whole thing around the business, the normal day-to-day activities of the business, which suddenly were put into sharp focus. When we were told pretty much on the 23rd of March, although we knew something was coming, that's it. You've got to shut down and you've got to shut down now. Now, whereas some businesses went into a complete shutdown and couldn't trade at all, education is not one of those. We have to keep going. So the government was really very clear and understood the impact for a whole generation of people, not only those in schools and, and young children, but those in that 16 to 19, predominantly our are, are, are age bracket, um, the impact of those of losing their education for up to a year and so we had to move very quickly from being 100% present to being 100% online now some of our learning is delivered online um so in some cases it's not possible to do so so with vocational activities it's not possible to deliver that online because you need the students need to be in in the workspace in the technical space they're working towards technical certificates which means you have to be assessed in the workplace doing activities and we have a large cohort of students with Educate special educational needs or very high needs that need supported. And that service had to remain open. Also, we had to provide a provision for the children of key workers. And not only from our own area, but from those outside of it, because again, lots of people who live in Nottingham work outside of it and have to get into their places of work. So we had to offer services for those as well. And first and foremost, we had to make sure the environment for those people was secure. And it was as COVID safe as we could make it. Um, And that was a completely different regime. So we went from, although we we pretty much had 365 operation, we had to go to 24, seven, 365 to enable those services to be prepared for and then delivered on site. We had to take all the activities around, how is it safe for our workforce to work away from college? Um, And whereas it's absolutely fine for people to try and do work on on a laptop or something on, on a coffee table or in their bedroom, wherever it may be, that's fine for a few weeks but you can't work like that permanently so completely moving to a different operating model for all of the staff then of course it became very clear this wasn't going to be a two or three minute or two or three week activity it was potentially going to be at that stage we thought three to six months here we are a year later and we're still there although it's coming out there is of course the possibility it may come back again so we've got to make sure what we went into it at a sprint, we're now in it for the long haul and we're now doing it, it on the marathon stakes. So we're making sure that people can work effectively in a different way, in an agile way, that learning can take place. Now we, we've seen good engagement with our learners online. However, not everybody has access to IT. Not everybody has good broadband. We were suddenly forced into something. I mean, perhaps had it yourself, we certainly had it at home where there's more than one of you trying to use technology at once. If you've got children there as well, they're trying to do online, or young people trying to do online lessons. Nobody has that sort of broadband capacity. Suddenly, you were trying to do business operating things with dogs, children, people you care for in and out, other people trying to do things. And it suddenly meant a, a completely different approach from people's perspective, is that your home's always a, you know is, is your refuge from things. And suddenly you're inviting people into your home in a way that you would never normally do. And so having to talk to people about how to use backgrounds to make sure your privacy was protected. The other thing we found happening very quickly was, um, well, the word for it is now, it's not presenteeism, but people were working longer and harder and doing this at a time of high psychological need. None of us quite knew how safe we would be at home. We didn't quite know how the virus might get to us. It seemed to be spreading through everything and anything. Um, and taking people's liberty away by the stay at home rules, of course, had huge effects on people in terms of their mental wellbeing. So we were shifting all of our operations into a different way, but at the same time, having to think of that 1400 strong workforce and that 34,000 student base about how can we create the environments for them that enable them to continue either learning or working but how can we also support their mental health and wellbeing? So huge challenges, none of which should be overlooked because it has been, I always think, the greatest HR challenge there has ever been um, in terms of how do you move the workforce that way? And as we move through that, how do we make the best of it? Because there are always positives. So in the darkest of the storm, if you like, from from the COVID perspective, we were trying to encourage people to think forward because we will come out of this. And we will come out a bit bigger and stronger we we will have been we'd have been wounded along the way as every organization has but we'll need to come out stronger then we'll take the positive so the ability we've proved how agile we can be so how can we take the best of that and develop workforce plans for the future that enable us to build on it make it bigger and better and we're doing that we've found ways of doing that however it's not the gold standard yet but it will get there but it's helped us from a culture point of view move forward 10 years for plans that we had in terms of how do we become more agile as an organization? How can we get more learning online? How can we engage learners in a very different way, which enables us to grow our student base?
0: That was one of the questions I was going to ask you is, you know, is it are the things you would keep? Um, I think you you started to answer that.
1: Yeah, uh, we will definitely, certainly in terms of many of our services now. I mean, the when you're recruiting people into an organization, um, you're looking for skills. That skill doesn't always exist for you locally. And if you're if you're bringing people in from, you know, the skill you want is 150 miles away, how can you make it attractive to people? Because you, you know, if, if they're doing that sort of commuting every day, they're going to be less productive. And, and in fairness, over time, who wants to do two or three hours each end of the day in a commute? So finding ways in which you can enable that agility that attracts that talent to you, can only make you stronger. Um, but you have to think alongside that in doing that is how do you create that team cohesion? How do you create that one team impact if people are so dispersed? Um, finding ways that you can still bring people together because you know, Zoom and Teams, et cetera, they're great platforms. Of course they are, but it's not the same as having people together. we're looking at a very hybrid model now about what works best for everybody everybody has enjoyed the ability to work from home but that's not truly about being agile it's about your systems and processes it's about the ability to work at any of our sites and still be able to deliver productivity and better services so we're finding those ways of moving forward and again they're different for each area so there's not a one-size-fits-all Whereas you might have in some organizations that might be quite easy to do. Um, for, for organizations such as ours, it's not. We need 50 or 60 different models that enable us to do it. So I'm putting together an overarching strategy that enables there to be that flexibility and innovation from different areas of the organization.
0: I remember you saying as well, um, <clears throat> certain roles uh, can't be done remotely anyway no, yeah. no. you know receptions no. and things like that and then you, you you've also said that you know some of the values you're trying to teach your students is so they can see what work is you know what work okay. is like and people need to be present to, to demonstrate that
1: absolutely okay. we, we call them anchor roles so they're not roles that that can easily or at all be done remotely and is that you say that there are um, things like our receptions um they're our front of house they're the first point of contact a visitor has with us or a learner or a member of staff it's the first point of contact so their impact is huge and if you've removed that there's there's all the this is the professional way we present ourselves this is the welcoming environment we do this is where you know you're safe these are the things we do for you can't be done remotely there needs to be people there And of course, we have to balance that with colleagues who feel, well, why do we have to be there and other people don't? If everybody's value is there, why are we the only ones who have to come in? Our estates teams cannot do the work they do remotely. Because if, you know, in keeping the environment to the best it can be so that it's conducive to learning, that it's a great place for people to be in and it's a comfortable environment for staff, they need to be there.
0: So are you going to have to categorise various roles, like you say, some of, you know, um, in either anchor roles where they they have to be done on site then maybe if there's technical um you know it if that person lives 150 miles away but they're the best at what they do is is that how you're going to be
1: it is it is so we we've designated we've identified the roles that do need to be present wholly present but we're trying to put in flexibility in the way that those teams work so that people still have the opportunity if they're sufficient in the team for people, for not to, everybody to be there at the same time, because there are some parts of the world that can be done remotely uh, or don't have to be front facing. And so we're trying to make sure that those people still get that option as well. But we are very clear, you know, every, everything is around productivity and output. Um, so a big thing all the time is finding solutions, not just seeing something as a barrier, but trying to find a way around it. Um, and we've started some um, employee forums now that we call My, My Workplace. So each of our campuses will have a My Workplace group. And that's where staff come together to find solutions to problems so whether that might be around um, something to do with the estate something that's broken and people haven't got it fixed whether it's about people not feeling safe in the car park where whatever it might be it provides that voice for the employee to say this is what we need to do to make it better Uh, and again finding that balance for those people who are working remotely now Lots of, of colleagues have said they've really valued that, but they're now itching to get back. They miss that interaction. And, and very sad, there's quite a dark side. For, for everybody, not for everybody, is home a safe place to be. So some people find refuge by coming to work. And we have to bear in mind also, people work for a number of reasons. Now, of course, the financial um, recompense you get is always important. You know It helps us live the way we want to live. But actually, it's the camaraderie. It's about being part of an organisation that you belong to, that there are people like you with your values um, and giving people the opportunity to come together again as teams, as small teams, as an entirety of the workforce to bring them together behind the values of the organisation and, and the, the mission and its objectives is really critical to do. Now, when I look at my own team, so we have our business partnering team team up. There's a team they have... Um, I think the easy way to describe it is an officer level who works with them as well. Um, and they're linked in with development teams. Um, they need to come together both as a partnering team and as a as a discrete group for the area that they partner with. Um, but also then we need to get the team together as a whole, as we're working through our corporate objectives and, and what we set ourselves to achieve this, this year. So that, that's sort of, for us alone, that's three, possibly four, separate interactions that we need to try and accommodate so i'm not suggesting it's easy far from it but where there's a will there's a way to create a great workplace
0: good and uh i know uh you, you've said uh i mean that must be a challenge so you're working in uh, an environment where you're trying to create um, covid secure spaces you want to get everyone as many people back um you know into into the workplace but that must be a challenge, um, you know, just making sure that across all the different sites, got a lot of different moving parts, a lot of different sites and making sure that COVID secure, I'm guessing that's been a bit of a headache.
1: Well, uh, that's when we thought we, we sort of got a plan around how we could operate in a COVID safe way. Um, and when we were coming up to to finish at at, at Christmas, and um, we, in one of our staff briefings, we were, we were talking to, to the workforce. And this was particularly important. Communications have been so important throughout this period. Because, I mean, wherever you looked, there was a different source of news. And we tried to create a channel which was one safe source of news for our workforce. So they could rely on it. They knew where to go to check. They knew it would be updated. They knew it would be translated into language that they could understand that they could easily then pass on to either their students or to their their families when they went outside of the workplace. They knew they'd got a a reliable sense of um, source of information. And just as we were finishing uh, that day and we were saying to everybody, of course, Christmas will be different this year. Um, It doesn't mean we can't celebrate in our own ways. It doesn't mean that we can't um, reach out to each other, but we we all recognize it will be different, but it is important to, to try and get a rest and a break as much as you can. Then the government announced when the, the education in particular reopened, they wanted us to run massive lateral flow testing um, schemes across the colleges. Um, and, and again, for us, that's you know 34,000 students and 1400 members of staff who we were going to have to put through this rapid testing. Um, and so, on, on when we close at Christmas and before you know that, that whole hiatus, then when lots of organizations and companies are taking a break we were trying to mobilize what appeared to be around 100 for a workforce, uh, a separate workforce, to run these lateral flow tests for us. No mean feat to do, so just when everybody thought they'd be able to, to wind down from people services perspective, we were back up to 90 miles an hour trying to work out how are we going to make this happen. Um, it worked well, we had a team of people, um, and there was a dedicated team within the organization who, who organized it, and it and it ran apart from the first couple of days trying to get used to it. How do you set these tests up? How do you get students to test? And they had to do three tests over the course of about five or six days. How do you get them in and out? How do you make sure you don't have too many people on site at any one time? Was you know it, but it worked well. And the interesting thing from that, a little bit like the discussion now around I don't want to see anybody who hasn't had a vaccination, one of the questions was, Well, can we refuse to Um, either teach or have members of staff on site who will not participate in the lateral flow test programme. And the government was very clear, no, you can't. If people choose not to do the testing, then you cannot deny them their education or the ability to come to work. So it was very clear then we had to say to people, this is an additional measure. We have these 20 other measures in place already to have a COVID secure environment. This is simply another, another measure to keep everybody safe. And of course, we all as individuals have a responsibility to do the you know, hands-face space part and to limit our interactions with others. And we were really, really, and one should never say this, very lucky, I'm gonna to touch everything possible here. Out of all the tests that we tested over 10,000 students who were due to return, um, we only had two positive tests that came from that. So that's, it was huge, which meant our communication channels had worked, our students, had been following the hands, face, space. Our staff had been doing the same. All of our estates teams, who were working tirelessly to keep the environment misted, fogged, cleaned, had all worked, and we were we were safe as we possibly could be. So huge. Yeah. Time. I don't, and I'm sure, you know, it felt huge to us. But I'm sure there are other organisations who had much wider workforces to try and do that with. It is, you know, a huge thing to do. But I feel we've mm-hmm. come out of it well. We've done it really really well
0: impressive numbers and uh, I mean when I speak to anyone in uh, you know in uh, in people services uh, they say they feel like in 12 months they've done equivalent of three years work because you've got the business as usual stuff you know you've got your normal employment issues the reactive stuff that uh, happens in a normal sort of day week month year and then suddenly all these different projects that have just been thrown at you with no notice possible. And um, and, um, and, and one of the things that I think um, one of the projects that um, people have had to deal with that um, or step up is the um, sort of wellness and their staff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I think the, the change and like you said before, people have handled it differently, but... Um, They've, you know they've had to do a lot of more, lot more well-being initiatives. I mean, have you guys do either done anything new or stepped up the amount of things you were doing?
1: Yeah, we have. Um, it, it, it became top of the agenda because the only way we would be able to make that seismic shift was to make sure that people's emotional well-being was at our high point because everything changed for everybody. and it wasn't just you know normally people deal with organizational change. Um, but on top of that, there was this huge change for everybody at a personal level. And, and despite people's resilience, you know, there, there was a genuine fear and fright because the, the news every day of the death tolls, et cetera, was playing on people's psychological safety needs. And of course, there's only so much an organization can do. Uh, and again, normally you'd be saying to people, do not spend more than 20 minutes looking at the screen at any one time. And suddenly we're asking people to be on screen all day and the only way to be able to signpost people to services was by asking them to come online again. So we put first of all, we did lots of manager briefings to um, talk to the managers about how to spot signs, perhaps that people were struggling in any way, um, to accept that work wasn't going to happen in the way it did. Let's 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 concentrate more on output um, and let's be realistic about the output, because certainly in the first lockdown, people were trying to work in you know, with, with children around, with people they might be caring for, whose needs were going to come first. Um, and it's sort of it's more the output rather than when the work is done. As far as we can, we try to be able to accommodate that. Um, we, we laid our hands on as many resources as we could. Um, in some cases, we had right no emails for two hours. Just leave people alone for two hours give people the opportunity to say do you know what I need I, I just can't focus today I need a bit of space to be able to do this but the important thing was let us know if you're in that position there's nothing wrong with that and I know there's you know we, we we've always done time to talk Day. we've always done being your mate's corner um we've always had focuses on men's health and women's health um but we've also run what we call cafes and these are for people with particular life challenges or life experiences Um, so yes it's always good to have employee forums of some kind but we've done some very specific ones for um, carers now there's over 6.1 million carers in the uk they can be caring from the age of four upwards might be taking on those additional things we didn't know it's not a protected characteristic we wouldn't necessarily know how many people in our organization had caring responsibilities and so we put a call out to say we're going to host this for anybody who's a carer. Um, the number of staff who came to it was, was astronomical. We didn't realize in our workforce, we had this big proportion of people who apart from the job they were doing brilliantly every day had huge responsibilities outside of that that impacted on them in the workplace. And again, because those providing the care and very the services that were there to, to support their person they were caring for were also disrupted. Um, and certainly for people with, perhaps with Alzheimer's or dementia, any form of change is really disruptive for them. And we understood by talking to our teams, those people who were doing that, they felt really supported and, and cared for. Even though we couldn't necessarily do anything about it by providing them with a regular space to come together or be online. And we ran these all the way through the lockdown. Um, they felt they had a support group and a further network, and we were able to bring in specialists who could talk to them about services that might be available, ways of coping, etc. Um, we also run these for. We have a menopause cafe now in education, in particular, it's quite often quite um, a female-dominated workforce, and we're about sixty-two percent female. We've got an aging population within the within the organisation, so. It's good chance that a good proportion of those people are feeling the experience of the symptoms perhaps of the menopause again hugely supported it's not a women-only group um although some of the things that the speakers that come in are talking directly to women it's really important that men start to understand this it's been a big ticket item for um for government over the last few years and particularly the impact that the menopause can have on some women some people just sail through it no problem at all others it's a big impact Add further psychological traumas to it, such as the pandemic. Of course, the symptoms can become much greater. We run cafes for, uh, we've got a bereavement cafe, sadly. Bereavements happened as a result of the pandemic, but there have been people who have been bereaved all the way through it. That can have significant p- impacts on people in the workplace. We've also got a new parents cafe. This is the first sort of generation, really, where people have had to go through their maternity experience and their pregnancy without any support. So partners not being able to go with them to maternity classes, any of these things. And again, because we're multi-site they wouldn't necessarily come into contact with each other but we were able to bring people together in that way. We also have them for our BAME staff and also for LGBTQ. Um, And we've also started one which will be called the class of 21-22 because we we run on an academic year because we've got a whole, we've got around 200 staff who've joined us since the start of the pandemic who've never yet been into the workplace they've never yet met their colleagues so providing these for these unique experiences has been really valuable in our workplace
0: yeah fantastic I can uh, yeah I can imagine that's uh, been a great help for people to to talk to other people in similar situations and realize they're not on their own and you know, talk things through
1: it's and interestingly as well we we're we're setting up the same arrangements for our student body because we have young carers, we have young parents, uh, again, you know, we're the sector for lifelong learning. Um, and we've, we've, we've got people experiencing all of those things who are part of our student body. So we're setting the same things up for those as well. And again, I, I'm very lucky to sit on um, a national policy group for mental health and for having it recognised as you know, a significant factor in the UK at the moment. So, Good thing, Gary, It's about being able to influence. It's about getting the doors open to um, be able to influence how government policy perhaps moves on how we support people who have mental health challenges.
0: Covered a lot there. Uh, I could talk all day. There's just so much happened <laughs> at, at the college, um, but um, you know, I, in the interest of time, I'll uh, I'm going to move it on uh, back to you as an individual. So. Um, one of the questions that I like to ask is, um, how do you learn as an individual then? Once you hit the top of the tree and there isn't always a, a direct manager who's done your job uh, previously, how do you learn and what personal development do you do?
1: Okay. Um, there's that mixture again, it's always around what's, not necessarily what what's the latest trend in, in sort of people management. Um, or in the people profession it's really always focusing on what are the next stages for our business um where does it need to go and so what what skills do I need to develop to be able to influence and lead the organization through a next period whatever might be coming next um but also again I think once once you reach a, a certain level I don't think you ever stop learning If if you do you'll stand still Um, and and then you're no longer the value it's always about having that value to your organization Uh, and not only that then it gives you the opportunity to pass it on and give something back so I with my local branch of the CIPD I run the HR directors boardrooms for them and I also lead their peer to peer mentoring scheme so it's about again helping our profession you don't have to I'm not advocating necessarily CIPD qualifications or, or, or those still but supporting those who are coming up through the ranks because it you know the, the higher up you go the lonelier the job can get um and so normally your peers at this level for me it's the chief exec um you've got to have a good relationship then but you're also making decisions about people's livelihoods so you've got to make sure your organization is secure and stable because again we have an economic impact that we always have to consider. Um, nobody ever goes into change programs lightly but you've got to keep your eyes so far ahead that you can try and minimize any impact those things might have. Um, I read everything and it's not always about people, um, it's about other attempts at things that you hear, phrases you might pick up on, um, things you might see on social media or whatever, which you think you know what, you can turn that into a people lens, you can do something with it. It's about creativity, you know, it's always about thinking, what can I do next? How can I do it better? What better impact might it have?
0: Good. Um, Two last questions for you. So the first one is, uh, have you faced any setbacks in your career? If so, um, how have you overcome them?
1: Yeah, well, I often say I always keep long sleeves on because I've got battle scars from from battles that I haven't won or some that I have won that have taken a long time to get to. Um, I think... Yeah, the biggest challenges really was, I, very early stages in my career, um, I, I tried to put through some initiatives that were great from a, you know, a an HR perspective as such, actually didn't fit with the business. And of course I kept going through each stage, I kept battling on and battling on saying, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, but I really hadn't aligned it to what the business needed. or So of course, when you do that, and I use the wrong language, so I talked to in HR terms, instead of talking in the language that business understood. So of course it was like you know facing them with with a completely foreign language they couldn't understand, a concept they couldn't see would add value, um, and an outcome that they couldn't see and didn't think added anything. So I learned that one after several battles of thinking why why are people not listening to me? Why are people not listening to me? Um, and I had a, mentor, a coach at the time and a mentor who said, "Do they? Do, do you know what you want them to do? Do they know what you want them to do? And do they have any idea what you're talking about? You know, what what is Article 119 of the Treaty of Rome? Why did you think you needed to refer to that in there? You know, stupid, Why why did you talk about things about Tuping when it wasn't relevant to this? Why why did you do it? Um, and it was a really salient lesson." Which is, you know, know your business, talk its language and then apply it through the lens that you need to.
0: Brilliant. So last question. What one piece of advice would you give to someone who wants to get to where you are who might be earlier on in their career?
1: Okay. Um, I'll go back to three words I used earlier. Visible, valuable and a trusted partner. So visible, the organisation needs to know what you're there for. So be very clear wherever you go. One of the questions you should always ask is, what does HR do? What's the expectations of HR or people services or whatever they call it in your organisation? What is it here to do? And what does it you want to do? Because if it says, you know, you're here to deal with hiring and firing, that's all you're here for. If that's not what you want from your career and that's the expectation on that area, nothing you do is going to change that. Or you could spend a long time trying to influence the change and never really getting there. So be visible. Be very clear about what it is you're there to do. Make sure your organisation knows what you're there to do and be out there. Don't be hidden away in an office somewhere. Be out there partnering with your business. Be valuable to them. So speak the language. um, Understand what its challenges are, what it needs to do and provide the solutions. Always be solutions focused. And then finally, be that trusted partner. Be the person that everybody wants on the team so that if there's a project, you're immediately invited into it so you can influence it at an early stage.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, we've covered a lot there. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, um, can they? And if so, what's the best way of doing that?
1: Absolutely. I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn uh, and I'm on Twitter. I am trying to be quite active on there. Again, it's part of the giving something back of activities at the moment i'm uh, a little bit delayed with doing them but i've been running again it's about wellness i've been doing um a 12 blogs which follow the line of the 12 12 days of christmas if you remember that carol um and each one is a blog around particular things on well-being so um the last one was the seven swans of swimming which i did last week which is talking about seven ways to be valuable yeah to increase your feeling of self-worth and value they can reach me through there have a read of those um or contact me at the college if it's something specific
0: brilliant well uh, a massive thank you to uh, to you uh and to the listeners so thanks uh, karen sanders again um director of people and development services at nottingham college i hope the listeners have enjoyed this episode i know i have and uh, stay tuned for more episodes thanks karen thank
1: you Bill. thank you
0: thank you for listening This podcast is brought to you by HR Recruit, part of Exec Recruit Group. We are a leading independent recruitment company and we specialise in recruiting leadership roles for ambitious businesses. Exec Recruit Group consists of a number of specialist brands and these brands cover the fields of human resources, finance directors, accountancy, marketing, technology and executive and C-suite positions. If you are looking to add to your leadership team or you are looking for a position for yourself, then we would love to hear from you. For more information, please visit execrecruitgroup.com.